Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. We have a number of guests today, and I'd like to start by introducing my co-moderator for the hour, longtime member of the San Francisco Opera Chorus, Aaron Neff. Aaron, welcome. And let's just start by talking about Fidelio and being on stage. What has it been like to be back on stage in front of a live audience at the War Memorial Opera House? Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me here today. It's been amazing in a way that I had not anticipated. Um, the energy coming from everyone, backstage crew, stage management, opera chorus, soloist has been so loaded We've been waiting for this day. Uh, we weren't really sure it would come, quite honestly. When we started rehearsing, all bets were off with the Delta variant. So it's amazing to be performing. And then the energy from the audience, I have to say, is something I've never quite felt. Even pre-applause, it's just the, the, I don't know, the hunger for community and hearing expression and art. So an amazing gift. Absolutely. And uh, I so agree with you. The energy from the audience has been so wonderful. And just as you and I are so glad to be back, they are so glad to be back as well. So it's really been wonderful. And let's talk about the production for a moment. Fidelio is, of course, set in a prison. And we have done a very updated version. We're, we are setting it in a modern day uh, detention center. And so our stage very much reflects that. So let's have a look at some photos here. Aaron, what are we seeing there? So this is uh, the most, uh, this is our current, this is the story of Fidelio, is uh, the story of a, a man named Floristan who's been in, put in prison unjustly. He's a political prisoner and they want to silence him. And his, his dutiful wife, Leonora, uh, disguises herself as a prison guard and uh, infiltrates the prison and eventually frees him um, uh, so that's that's the quick and dirty of of Fidelio. It was written uh, 150 years ago, 170. 1805 and, was the premiere. Yeah. Yes, and I really want to take my hat off to the San Francisco Opera to Matthew Schilvach for having the courage to kind of put this in the setting where it belongs in 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 contemporary times it's i don't i think it is no small thing that to to really make this statement and while this is set in a detention center um we know there's detention centers all over the world and there has been traditionally japanese internment camps Nazi germany um, but in our country, we have ICE detention centers. So um, in the work I do, when we'll get to that uh, with prisoners, this, this had a very, um, very, very personal meaning to me and, and the, my community who I work with. This is a picture of Elsa Vantenhever, who portrays Leonora, disguised as a man. Someone said she looked so good as a man that it was confusing. Um, I also like to say that one of the alternate titles to this opera at one time was the triumph of marital love as well as Lenora the the character herself and I believe the publishers that wouldn't let Beethoven publish it with the name of a woman it was changed to Fidelia but an amazing statement about sort of a feminist role a strong female 
Um, I do, I, in my work in, in uh, carceral justice, there are a lot of women. I recently read an article in the New York Times how uh, abolitionism is, is the work of women. Debatable, of course, but uh, this really resonated with me. Yeah, um, so Aaron, tell us more about that. As, as we've said, it's been a while since we've all been on stage. In fact, the last time before this fall that San Francisco Opera was performing live on the stage was in December of 2019. Um, that's a long time to go without performing. So what has kept you busy during that long span of silence? Prior to the pandemic, I work with a group called California Coalition for Women Prisoners. We do advocacy for incarcerated women in California, uh, namely at Chowchilla and uh, in Southern California, uh, CIW, and we're currently expanding to Dublin. Uh, we would do in-person visiting and we do advocacy for people who've reached out to us or people who've been recommended from either our members inside or we have a letter writing program. But during the pandemic, we were no longer able to do any of the in-person visiting. There was a tremendous amount of interest in becoming involved, I think because people had time and they were home, but um, a, lot, a lot of energy coalescing around George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And we suddenly had volunteers um, really wanting to get involved. And so we decided to start a program called Writing Warriors that teaches people how to do advocacy, but it's all through writing using the uh, email, snail mail. And it's been wildly successful. We, we don't really get that many volunteers a year who really dedicate themselves to that work. And in this last year, we've trained 63 new people who are doing this work. We've reached out to 130 people inside who prior to the pandemic were, had, did not have relationship with us. So I'm coordinator for that group. And it's, uh, it's tremendous and it's been incredibly inspiring to see how people inside are more connected and people outside. Absolutely. And that is such a important message, which we hope the production of Fidelio brings, and especially this exhibit that we have accompanying the production. And so let's talk about that exhibit for uh, a good while. So in conjunction with this production of Fidelio, we have presented an exhibit entitled, We Shall Be Free, We Shall Find Peace, an exhibit of art by incarcerated persons at San Quentin State Prison. Now, Aaron, do you recognize that line, We Shall Be Free, We Shall Find Peace? Does that ring a bell to you? Yes, that is the beautiful prisoner's chorus in uh, Act One, where we are released from our cells for a few minutes, for a moment, and we have, we're out in the fresh air, and we have this moment of, of freedom, and we have this moment of connecting with hope for freedom. Yeah, and the German of that text is Wir werden frei, wir finden Ruhe. Again, we shall be free, we shall find peace. And it's one of the most just gorgeous moments of the opera, perhaps of all operas, I think. It's such a powerful moment. And so in order to put this exhibit together, we needed artists. And so luckily, I knew someone that was working with the William James Association, and specifically with their Prison Arts Project, and that is Carol Newborg, who is a program manager, an exhibit organizer, and contract teacher with the Prison Arts Project at the William James Association. Carol, hello, welcome. Hello, and thanks for inviting me here, but thanks for inviting our group to exhibit for the opera. This has just been stunning for us, and the, the visibility that 
so many invisible people have right now is just great. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you. It's been so wonderful partnering with you on this project. And there have been so many people at San Francisco Opera who have put their time and effort into making this happen. So we're just grateful to all of you. Um, so, Carol, we, we contacted you and said, we, let's put on an exhibit. What did you think to that? Like, okay, let's hope we actually get back inside next week when we're supposed to. <laughs> right, because when I first contacted you, uh, you'd actually not been able to be in, in the prison studio uh, for a good while, correct? Yeah, we had been out for a year and a half, and for a year we'd been in touch, at least through doing correspondence courses. Um, I was the delivery person, and I'd pick up all the lessons from the teachers in the area and bring them to the prison mail, and we'd get the replies, and it was just very gratifying, just even to know, even if people weren't replying, to know that they were getting the lessons, had knew somebody was trying to reach them, and and it was a real learning experience to go from the studio, especially for the musicians, <laughs> to go from teaching live to, uh, you know, trying to just do it all on paper. It was really challenging. And um, we were so grateful when we were finally allowed to go back in. And we were one of the first programs allowed back in. There was a garden project, several others, but it was something we really looked forward to. (laughs) And then to be able to come in and say, it's, you know, hear their stories. I mean, there's so much people still are processing from what's happened and what's still happening. Um, but to be able to say, well, there's this opera that they're doing in San Francisco and they'd like your art at it in this giant, gorgeous lobby at, at Civic Center. And it was just like an unbelievably lucky piece of timing to have something so dynamic and um we were able to, you know, some people had already done work around the freedom theme or injustice. Not, not surprisingly, incarcerated artists deal with that theme a lot, those themes. Um, but, you know, and also I was surprised that a certain amount of the guys knew Beethoven, some knew the opera way more than I knew. Um, it was just uh all a wonderful surprise and very invigorating for coming back and feeling like we'd have a venue for outside and people seeing what had been so hidden for so long. Right. Now, of course, the themes of struggle and liberation are very central to the story of Fidelio and also to Beethoven's own life. And it had really been our hopes that San Francisco Opera could be at San Quentin with these artists as they were creating these works and talking to them about Beethoven, talking to them to, about Fidelio. And, of course, we have not yet been able to do that. We'll get there, but we haven't been able to as thus far. And so I'm just wondering, in what ways were they able to relate to the story or to the opera, or were they? Do we still have that connection to make? Well, um, first we had one of the um, artists, this Tommy Tonklin of Uh, who, when I started trying to explain the plot and I was reading way too much information and you know how opera plots are. And I was just getting lost and the guys were getting lost and I ended up just laughing. And Tommy said, Oh, do you need a synopsis of that? And he wrote one up in 20 minutes and we all sat down again in the class and read through it. Um, You know, everybody got involved then and could jump in and and relate to 
various themes. So one or two people went with the the woman's um, love and devotion for her husband and that as a theme. But, the, you know, coming out of uh, the year after George Floyd protests and events, and there'd been a lot of art and letters, writing, everything addressing Black Lives Matter and uh, injustice and lack of freedom. So art was partly in process and then was very, people were totally inspired to create new work too. Right. And of course, you've seen the production of Fidelia. You were there on Wednesday night with um, so many other members of the communities that serve incarcerated persons and communities and families, as well as at-risk youth. How did you like the opera? I loved it. It was just, I mean, yeah, I was not literally jumping up and down, but I was really excited. And it was just the choruses and the the uh, messages. It was a stunning opera. And I just I I know you had asked about live streaming it into the prison, which is technically really challenging. But if there's a recording that we eventually will be able to figure out how we could get that to play in the on the San Quentin TV that people can watch around the clock pretty much inside. I think it would be really popular. And um, and as you said, the other thing that would be really great eventually, you know, as soon as we can start having more visitors is to have sessions with you guys coming in and talking about the opera and the meaning of it. And like the concerts you did um, at least one in the past with the soloist, that would be so welcome now. It would really, really be great to do. Absolutely. And Carol, please know that San Francisco Opera's commitment to San Quentin and to all the prisons in California and all these important communities, this is ongoing. This does not stop with this at the end of this production or the end of this exhibit. And so we really do look forward to getting into that studio with you and sharing with them Beethoven and Fidelio in whatever way we can. Um, Aaron, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, Wednesday night's performance, uh, like I said, we had a, a number of people from the community as our guests, and you were very helpful in getting some of those people there. Did you feel any difference in the energy of the audience that night? Um, I may be projecting. I can't really know for sure. I I felt a little nervous, and, and I, I actually want to have questions for Isaiah and Henry if either of you were at the show, is I, I felt a little nervous because I think it's you have to treat this very carefully if you're bringing it to modern day. And these are real people. A lot of people are living this life of incarceration, uh, unjust incarceration, and a very, very high percentage of people of color, people who are poor are, are ending up in prison. And I was a little nervous because I'm not part of the artistic team. I just go on stage. I sing what they tell me to do. And uh, stand where I was supposed to go. Um, so I, with my colleagues who do this work, I was a little nervous how they would respond to it. So um, Isaiah and Henry, if either of you were there, I would love to hear, because you have lived experience of incarceration, how how that was for you. Absolutely. Critique, critique right. or commentary. Yeah, let's take this moment to introduce the artist that we are so blessed to have with us today. 
and that is Isaiah Daniels and Henry Frank, both of whom were students of Carroll's at San Quentin and had pieces in this exhibit. And Isaiah specifically was, was there on Wednesday night. So Isaiah, Henry, hello, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, Isaiah, do you want to share your thoughts on, on seeing the production on Wednesday night? Yes, I do. I, first of all, let me say I was honored. I was humbled. I enjoyed it. And I want to thank you for the caption across the top because I understood everything they said. For me, it sitting there watching it, the show, it was, it was, I was mesmerized. I, the way the stage was set up, the way um, the performers performed, especially the singing. I mean, I, I love to sing myself, and I just sit there and listen to their voices. And then at the end of the show, I um, I love the way they applauded. But when, but I, I noticed that when um, the, the woman who played Fidelio, when she when she got up, the applause roared because it talked about her strength and it talked about how she would go through all measures just to be with her her husband to save him whether it's mentally or physically, but in this case, physically, she saved him. And what mesmerized me the most was, I realized Beethoven knew that we would not get this right centuries down the line. Mm. And, and this play was based on that. And so I remember sitting there and looking out the sliver of a window that I have in my cell at the women who came to visit every week in, this, in the freezing cold, the burning heat, the pouring rain, and how they were there to to save their husbands, um, whether it was physically or mentally, just to keep them alive and hopefully to get them out. And and it's just how it, um, and, and that's how it kind of t- touched me. Um, for being a person who used to sit there and wait for someone and hope someone would come there and find me. And I can only imagine what he was going through, just being there. Not saying I was a political person or even innocent, but just saying just the, just the need of that hope, you know, the, the love of somebody that loves you that much, you know, it was phenomenal. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. And Henry, I don't believe you've been able to see Fidelio yet, have you? Uh, no, uh, I was uh, with my mom taking care of her. Uh, I was trying to get there, but you know, Tuesday night, I was like, no, I'm not going to make it. So I called Carol, let her know that I wouldn't be there. Um, but, you know, I was pretty excited. I never been to the opera before, either as my wife. So um, we were disappointed not being there, uh, but we did get a full report the next day and, and at the night, too, and got pictures of uh, the paintings and my painting up there and just kind of um, the atmosphere and, and the feeling of the event and the people that uh, was corresponding with me, you know, saying they were having a fantastic time. They were very impressed with how many people were there and how many people were actually stopping and looking at all the artwork. And I was like, man, that is so awesome. Uh, and if we had uh, gone into the city today, we were going to swing by there and go in the lobby. But, um, you know, fortunately, we didn't have to. So we're on Zoom. But still, we, we're going to make our way over there to go in and look at the artwork. That's a really great point. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that the lobby is not actually open to the general public outside of performances. Oh. Even at performance time, you do have to have a ticket. Luckily, we do have a digital version of this exhibit online. But more importantly, Henry, we have two more performances left of Fidelio, one tomorrow night and one on Saturday. Uh, so let's you and I talk later and we can make sure that we get you to see Fidelio if you're available. Okay. 
not, San Francisco Opera has plenty more performances of many other wonderful moments of beauty coming up throughout the season. Um, and you were talking about seeing or the number of people that are actually interacting with the art and looking at it. And so I've brought up an image that shows uh, just two photos of that exhibit wall. Um, one in the main lobby when we first got it all put up, and then another one uh, showing the actual audience having a look at it. And Carol, um, in the next few slides, we have actually the entire exhibit. And sadly, we don't have enough time to, to pause on each, uh, work and really talk about it. But, um, I would just love to have you talk a little bit more about the program and the work that you do with the William James Association. And as you're doing that, I will, um, kind of scroll through the exhibit. And if you want to pause on certain works and talk about them, please go ahead and Aaron or anyone else, if you have questions or comments to add. Uh, you're most welcome. Well, I never get tired of seeing this work, so this is great. Yeah. Um, and I love that you have the online show because then the families of the artists can look it up too. That just that's really important. That was a very important um, piece for us, absolutely. Yeah, and and I understand that will remain up after the opera ends, so that's um, really important for everybody. The access and and with most of the pieces, there's also a statement, which was great. I love that you asked for a statement from each artist who wanted to contribute one, because there people have a lot of pent up things to say after this lockdown and with what's going on. This is Henry's painting, and it's three feet wide and it's just stunning in person the the subtlety of the prison scene there and then the the luminescence really of this hummingbird um and the razor wire i mean it's just it's so sad and so beautiful at the same time and uh captures a lot as henry's art always does i'm i'm a henry collector so i've got several pieces <laughs> i love his work um, he's got a great website, redtailart.com, so that you can see more of his work. And conveniently, the next slide is Isaiah's work. Um, and it, the way that this matched the set also was kind of stunning, just the feel. This, and, and um, you referred to her, somebody did the light at the end of the tunnel, kind of. I didn't even. You know, it all feels so sad to me when I see that. I didn't even realize that. But um, so many artists inside. I, one thing, that, as you see all this, the work, people have so much to express and to be able to get in touch with that's inside themselves that they've never had the support for doing that, the idea that they've got skills uh, and can develop them. It just, it's amazing the transformation that you can see in people's self-expression, self-esteem, uh, and what they share with others. Um, this is done by a, an artist who's mostly homo, Jimmy Medell, and but he, he was basing it on information, stories he was sharing with his cellmate who was from Hong Kong, and it's called The Dragon of Unity. And, and it's another piece of what happens, big piece of what happens through art is cultural awareness and discovering more about yourself in that sense and having that more grounded sense of roots and connection to others, your family history, your cultural history. But it's also what happens in the art room is people trade 
you know, share and respect each other's cultures, backgrounds, their skills, obviously, but the the openness that people can share culture um, and identity through the art and through being in a a studio space where community is built is one of the really powerful elements of arts, any art form in prison. Um, You know, we have music programs, theater, that we've had dance, you know, everything and writing, of course. Um, and another fact, it's not just reaching your culture, but people reach out to their family through their art. This is a, a sad childhood memory. This incredibly gifted artist, actually, this is a small pencil piece and he does huge murals also very, very gifted artist. Um, but he lost his whole family pretty early. And this is a, the, the sadness is there in the artwork. Dad and me, yeah. But people connect to their families too. Um, and this artist, uh, speaking of working with incarcerated women, until 2013, women gave birth in prison in shackles, shackled to beds. So um, that's what this is about. But, uh, you know, and then the babies are taken away and I'm not going to go there. But um, (laughs) another artist who's uh, very active, he's one of our clerks also, who explores so much through his art. And I've seen him develop so much more um, like coming to terms with what led him to prison as he's developed his painting But this, of course, grew out of what was happening during COVID and the recent and endless protests from decades ago, too. Um, And this one I just love so much. There's so much detail in it. And if you all look at the lower right hand corner, uh, this is clearly made for this production. Welcome to Fidelio 2021. That uh, really is just so touching. And it's been great to see the audience be moved by that as well. He's done a big series of protest posters, and there's also more of Orlando Smith's work in the Afrofuturism show at the Oakland Museum right now. This is the um, Thomas Tunglin, who I mentioned wrote up a perfect synopsis of the opera for our project. He's doing an incredible watercolor project documenting the prison from inside, and his skill is just amazing. And I also love his uh, sardonic title here, American Pastime on the Prison Yard. Yeah, but he's just um, we're going to have to get his work out there somehow, too, or he'll get it out soon, hopefully. Absolutely. I should also note that we uh, plan to make this exhibit publicly available at another uh, venue sometime soon. And so please, everyone, stay tuned for that. We don't want it just to be about the ticket holders that get to see this in person. The work is just so stunning. Online, it looks great, but there's so much more to experience in person. I had a question for Carol that you touched on just for a moment. Um, I very much think opera, the art of opera, is for the people. And I know it is largely perceived as um, something for the wealthy. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the conversation, initial conversation, of how people were responding to an opera. It sounds like some people already had some familiarity with it. Was there any conversation 
around sort of that opera is not for me or that's that's a good question because I had the same thought. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear that conversation. I'm not wouldn't be surprised if that conversation happened. But the fact is, um, people it's kind of amazing the music that people are exposed to inside. And there's also there's video channels that through the um, San Quentin TV that are playing things from art museums and different classical music, different, a wide variety is available. And um, so so I think people were less, and it's it's also, it's a very San Quentin thing because of our access to so many supportive people and programs in the area. It's not the same at Chowchilla and, you know, out in the desert and places, but um, there wasn't, there wasn't resentment, certainly, that I was aware of. It was like, this is an opportunity, you know, and and I mean, there's a certain humorous element to it to me. OK, prison and opera. Sure. You know, and I think that side of it was kind of fun, actually. But because the opera had come and done um, a solo concert, you know, soloist concert, and we've had other classical and um, quartets come and perform, it, it's kind of surprising how open-minded, or not, 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 not even surprising that people are open-minded, but what people have been exposed to one way or another, so that it's not as surprising as I would have felt, yeah. That's a good question. And I'd really, I'd love when I go back, I go in tomorrow uh, on Wednesday, rather, I'll, I'm going to ask that question specifically of some of the participating artists and get back to you. Cause I'm curious too, <laughs> what wasn't shared around that. Yeah. Yeah. I would really love to hear that answer. And Carol, you, you were commenting on the number of opportunities that do come to San Quentin. And you, you and I have talked about how a lot of the other prisons don't get those same opportunities and are underrepresented. And Aaron, you and I have talked about how female prisons are even more so underrepresented. Can you speak to that for a moment? Yes. Um, so CCWP, California Coalition for Women Prisoners, started 25 years ago, and it was res- in response to, um, on an immediate level, to really the very, very poor medical care you get in prison. One gets in, in the women's prisons at that time at Chowchilla, and it grew into different kinds of advocacy. Chowchilla is two and some two hours away. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's on the way to nowhere. And it's a very, very underserved population. I had initially, when I got involved with this group, I wanted to go and actually teach people to sing. I'm also a voice teacher uh, because... If nothing else, whether you're incarcerated or not, we need to find our voice. And that in itself is is such a profoundly healing experience. And so I walked into the offices, which were very close to the San Francisco Opera. And I I said, um, I would like to do this. I would like to start this program. And they said, oh, well, that's very nice. But we really need people on our visiting team. Desperately. So I ended up becoming um, someone who does in-person visiting with direct relationships with people. And I, I am very glad that I'm doing that. It's 
I imagine somewhat different than teaching in class, but it's opened my eyes to um, a world that I, I wasn't um, I wasn't familiar with. I'm lucky enough to not have to have been. I have one brother who's been incarcerated uh, throughout his life due to mental illness, but it wasn't any lived experience. And um, I, let's see, I think that as a community of brothers and sisters in the outside world, what we are lacking is understanding people's experiences and how close in some way all of our, all of us are to being incarcerated, either wrong place, wrong time, millions of factors. Um, anyway, so I began to be involved with the women and the women, it's the largest, uh, the population of women's prison is growing faster, much faster than men's. And so these are mothers and, and daughters and sisters and wives, et cetera. Um, but they, yeah, there's a real lack of interest probably because geographically, but I, there is a somewhat romanticized, I'm going to go out on a limb, um, relationship, I think, with incarcerated men that does not necessarily have the same appeal as um, serving incarcerated women. And it's been wonderful to see in many of these paintings how these artists are celebrating women. Um, a few of those we've had a look at already, and Carol has had uh, some lovely comments about that. Carol, I'd like to uh, share this image of um, a thousand cranes from the origami class at San Quentin. What can you tell us about the origami class and specifically the, the tradition of a thousand cranes? Well, I don't know the tradition of a thousand cranes, but I do know about this origami class. So um, I bet you know about it, though. But uh, Jun Hamamoto has been teaching origami there for uh, six years or more. And it's a really wonderful, popular class. And she, she started working with the uh, Pacific Islander um, Asian musical and performance groups. And she works with the Buddhists there. She's very involved. She also works a real job up at Lawrence Livermore. But um, she's just dynamic. And it's been great. To, there are a lot more um, Asian-American and prisoners than you would realize because of our system um, and California and who's um, had the hardest time here financially, et cetera, and with access to things. But um, the origami class, and this is a shot of it from above, just builds real camaraderie and not, not all the participants are Asian American either. It's a lot of people come in to learn it and it's a, it's a very accessible, you know, June works with simple things to start with. It's so wonderful and accessible, but so collaborative and things like the thousand cranes. And this is one of many places that they've created cranes for um, memorials, for other, you know, group efforts that their cranes are added in with others in a large storefront in the city. Um, It's tremendous uh, access for a lot of people in a lot of ways. And then some people, we've got one 
take it so far and they're so skilled. Someone's building this giant white swan that's going to be about three feet high by about two, three feet around all out of our origami of probably thousands of pieces of paper too. There's it's, it can be used so creatively and people, as you see here are working a bit using paintings as backgrounds and, you know, doing mixed media with the origami. Um, but the collaborative effort and the fact that this was shared online and this group, and there's probably over 20 people participated in the cranes. And there were so many moving statements that you can find online um, about the meaning of this for people right. and uh, what the access to origins class. And, and um, it's, it's just a beautiful thing actually i'm so moved by it i love it and we were so moved to receive a thousand cranes from your studio class that was so amazing my understanding of that tradition is that if you make a wish as you fold each crane and you make the same wish and you make a thousand cranes that that wish will be granted so you can only imagine what wishes they were making with these cranes and we hope that uh, many of you will be able to see those cranes in person at the War Memorial Opera House during our remaining performances of Fidelio. Uh, we also have photos of them online. And then, of course, as I said before, we hope to get this out to a more uh, accessible venue to the general public later on. Um, I just want to give a shout out to our live audience right now, our live online audience, that you are welcome to use the chat window uh, on YouTube to uh, ask questions, make comments. We'll be sure to leave some time at the end to answer any questions that you may have, but please feel free to make those questions and comments throughout the talk as well. Um, Carol, I want to speed through our exhibit. Um, as I said before, we can't possibly get through everything, uh, but we're so glad the digital exhibit is available to people. By the way, that can be accessed by going to sfopera.com slash Fidelio. You can also buy tickets to Fidelio on there and find out more about the production. Uh, but so I'm just going to move ahead here. We have a few works uh, to feature here of Isaiah Daniels. And I want to note that his website is mwasiarts.com. And there's lovely things to view there. So Isaiah, uh, I would love to hear from you what your experience was in terms of creating art while being incarcerated and then also tell us a bit about the images that you've shared with us today. Okay, so um, let me first say, um, most thank you again for this whole presentation. But um, my experience in life is um, I learned something that I think changed my life and was one of the main factors of me getting released from prison. And that was that the way I interpret and respond to the world around me makes up the quality of my life. And that's something I never knew. Uh, I was taught as a little boy that boys don't have emotions. We don't show emotions. We don't can't talk about love and can't cry. What we what what, what was um, acceptable was anger. We were taught to fight, hit them back. Don't let that happen to you. And that's what I grew up with until I finally went to prison. But by being able to go to a class that, um, like Carol was, um, um, you know, instructing um, arts and corrections in San Quentin, I learned how to um, express myself through art. If I had a bad day out there on the yard and it came in, I can take that, I can take a paintbrush and 
and paint a, a, a cloudy, rainy day into a beautiful sunshine, you know? And so being able to learn how to express myself through art gave me the insight that I needed to understand what happened, what went wrong, you know, where did I, I fail myself, you know? And by, and by learning this, gaining this insight, it was the same thing that helped me to get released from prison. You know, I was once, I was able to express myself in what I thought, how I feel, what my life is going to be like now. So arts and corrections was a, a big factor in my release from prison and in my life. This painting that's um, on the screen right now is called Faith. And one of the things I had to do was I had to trust in something outside of me. You know, I had to learn how to believe it because all my life I had my way of thinking and I, it kept me alive. I was a runaway. It kept me alive. But the things, but I needed to change. And in order for me to change, I couldn't use my own thinking because my own thinking was the thinking that kept me alive. So I had to trust in something greater than myself. Hmm. And so that's where this picture came from, faith. Wonderful. Oh, and this is well, this painting here is, um, I struggled with my mom. Um, we were left, um, given away. And I used to, I, I, every once in a while, I go into Laney College and I teach. And this is one of the paintings that always came up was a question about how I feel about my mom. And I used to say, I don't know. But long story, this is what my heart feels like. My mom died uh, about a year ago. About a year, a little bit over a year ago, during the beginning of the COVID. And I've always said, I don't even know if I would even cry. But there's another picture that looks exactly like this here painting that was taken when my mother passed away. And the paintings are exactly almost, the, the expressions are almost the same. So for me, this painting is what I actually really felt in my heart about my mother's leaving me or leaving this world that I never knew I felt. It's called pain. This one here is called contemplation. You know, there, there came a time in my life where, um, and that's where I learned about the, um, the way um, I emotionally respond to the world that um, it's going to determine the quality of my life. And that's when I finally found peace in my life. You know, I was able to contemplate on where I wanted to go next, what my life looked. And if you notice, most of my paintings are on, on the feminine aspect, you know, um, that strength in that woman again, like uh, like Aaron has spoke up, you know. Um, but yet still, I think there's a feminine and a masculine side in every, in every man. And so for me, in order to touch myself, I, I always went that way. So, this one here is my confusion. <laughs> As you see in the background, I love Van Gogh. Um, but I was trying to find a way out of prison, which displays that sewer in the background because of all the time that's going by. And as you can see, the distortion in time, the broken, the, you know, the justice system on crutches, you know, the broken system. And I learned that I was being held down by someone who looks like me. In actuality, the only person that was holding me down, those are my hands. I was holding myself down and just never knew it. 
your imagery and so powerful. Thank you so much, Isaiah. And next, I'd like to move on to Henry, Henry Frank, uh, whose website is redtailarts.com. And Henry, welcome. Thank you for being here. And same questions to you. Could you please tell us about your experience with art and also tell us about the works that we're seeing? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me here. And I am honored and humbled. And just the way when Carol first reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to put a piece in. And originally I was going to put in a woodpecker painting, which will probably be the next slide. And then um, that night I went to sleep and then I woke up the next morning with the vision of easy come, easy go. And so um, that piece just, you know, came to uh, the forefront for this um, opera. And it's the first time really that I've painted anything about prison. Normally uh, my paintings are about spirituality, about, uh, you know, having my voice, finding my voice and putting it out there in the world. And, you know, and hopefully the people that need to hear it will hear it. And so uh, art inside for me just, it created a safe haven in that little studio um, where it was okay to be vulnerable, where it was okay to not know everything, where it was okay to, you know, be afraid of doing new things. And um, while I was there, you know, I, I talked with other artists and I talked with the teacher and even some of the guards that came in, which I probably wouldn't do outside of that room. And so years later, you know, I realized what was going on. It was, you know, teaching me social skills and communication skills, problem solving skills, and not realizing that that place took down walls that I had up and it took down walls that other people had. So we can just, you know, converse as artists, as human beings beings in that room and when I first went in there it was you know Black Gary it was Mexican Felix it was you know all these labels for people but by the end of it you know it was you know just Felix or he the block printer or uh, Gary he, he was the collages you know or the clown and you know stuff like that where it just really let us become raw in there, you know, and, and that's what we needed because those skills came in handy when I got out because even though there is uh, some uh, cultural and ethnic differences out here, but we got to work together because we're all here together. And so it helped, you know, take that down and just kind of see people for who they are, where they're at right now. Um, so the slide before this, you don't got to go back to it, it's called Finally Home. And that is the first piece that I block printed when I got home. I actually drew it two years prior in uh, ink pen and I sent it to my friend Beth and I kept the the stencil that I use uh, to put it on the page. And then in my mind, you know, I was like, if I ever get out, this is, or if I ever get a block print again, uh, this is the piece I'm going to do. And when I got out, I had a friend and she had a studio and she's like, Hey, whenever you want to print, you know, my studio is yours. I said, I actually have something to print. And about two weeks later, this is what I printed and, and it became finally home. Um, and so from that, I adventured into a business license and all that, creating my own business of the uh, the Red Tail Art. And I used to send my everybody who wrote me or sent me money or whatever it may be when I was in county jail. I'd always send them a thank you card, a custom made 
thank you card and on the back it would say henmark and as you know then as time went on i put the little red tail on it and then i was like you know if i if i ever get out you know my business is going to be red tail art because there's already a hallmark so why would i want a henmark you know and i said it has to be mine and then here we are you know but 15 years later once i first thought that did it come into reality and that that's now been eight years ago so um, art has been profound in my life uh, the playground is i i love nature and inside i live my life through photos and the tv and stuff like that um, but there was always like oh i wish they took the photo this way or they should have done this and so i became a photographer when i came out and this was actually at cooley loco and i was in the middle of a grove and i i just, there was about 45 woodpeckers in this grove and they were just playing. I'd never seen anything like it before. It was loud. And I just kept slowly stepping forward and just telling them, Hey, I'm just, just here to take photos. I'm not messing with you guys. And he told, I was like in the middle and these woodpeckers would be flying past me. And I never knew that they, you know, did like the Eagle thing where they grab the talons and they kind of just drop together. And well, this one dropped, broke right in front of my face went up and then came back up there and i mean i get goosebumps just talking about because i can still see it but that is where this piece came from wow. <clears throat> and then um the legos they love legos <laughs> oh yes so i love the minions they're they're hilarious and so in number three there was they went to prison and one of the little toy things made like a prison cell minion a minion prison cell so i said oh that's cool i'll get it and i put it together i'm like well that's kind of weak i said i could build a, a better one than that and so i did and i said well he needs friends you know he needs some cellmates so i built three together and i said oh i could probably do a whole prison and so this was actually originally like a minion prison if you if you saw the movie i had it you know i had the skinheads in there and I had them in there and everything like that and then once i entered it in the county fair and they gave me special mention and everything i'm like what am i going to do with this now <laughs> I, I couldn't i didn't feel like i could just take it apart and just throw, you know do something with it so i was like i think i can make this a real prison and so i made custom made stickers and i made tears and gun towers there's a transport bus i made a visiting room and i'm working on the chow hall now but it was very therapeutic, the mind prison, because um, the every piece in there has a story that was part of my life and there or something I experienced or something that I heard. Um, and then the visiting room, like Isaiah was saying, I had a lot of visiting and with my father. But I say 90 percent of that visiting room was always females in there, you know, visiting their loved ones. Um and so when I look at these pictures, even when I was putting it together, I can hear the sounds of the visiting room and I can remember, you know, the things that I enjoyed. There was the microwave with the hamburgers and I used to love to get the breakfast sausage and put them all in there and eat all 10 of them. <laughs> and then um, sitting down and just watching people, you know, enjoy their families and, you know, enjoying my family. My father would come and visit and, and some others, uh, but mainly my father. And then down in this lower corner here, you see the photographer here taking the picture of the couple uh and you know i was i was always in the photos even in there until they took them away but um and so this is just a little piece of of my my uh, life in there and and like i said it was very therapeutic uh since i've been out 
I like to say I do work for the William James Association now, and I am the programs and communications assistant for them administratively. And um, and I was very impressed with all of the teachers and site coordinators and uh, my boss, uh, Lori Brooks, and when the pandemic hit and they're like, oh, we can't go in anymore. How fast we change gears to make sure that we're still bringing uh, our teaching into them to let the participants know, hey, we're, you're not forgotten. You know, we still want to provide this service to you and, you know, to give them something to do and give them, take maybe their mind off of what's going on in there because I've been in there. So I know how it just kind of gets in that loop. And so, I mean, I just, I'm just very proud to be a part of this team. And now I've been uh, hired as a artist instructor, so I'll start teaching in CMF and giving back to it was given to me. Uh, for the people, uh, since I've been out in the last two years, I have been honored and, and been asked to become a bear dancer for the people. And at first, I wasn't going to do it. I was just like, you know, I'm not Indian enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm, you know, too fat. I'm all, I'm all, all these things. And and I was scared. And so, but I went to Yosemite probably like five days before the dance was going to happen. And um, I happened to see three bears through that whole day. And I was like, it's a sign. And so I called him up and said, hey, yeah, I want to do this. You know, I, I'm willing to go. And Hector picked me up Saturday morning and I went up there and, you know, just I was accepted. I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so that opened up, you know, more doors for more opportunities, you know, for the art and people doing uh, the work and that want to do the work to go inside and help the people that are experiencing incarceration right now. Uh, and I'm all about that. And, and you know, and I'm going to support them as much as I can. And they offer, you know, the same. Uh, so those are my uh, pieces here. So. Thank you so much, Henry. That's so wonderful that you have found ways to give back and to be a leader in your own right. And Isaiah, I know that you have done the same. Can you tell us about that? Where are you up to these days? Well, um, thank you again. Um, you know, so my way of giving back is, um, uh, is, you know, I try when I'm out here, I actually I teach at um, Laney College um, art and how to um, express yourself through art, sometimes at Berkeley Co uh, Community College. Um, I, I'm, I also work as a substance abuse counselor. So a lot of times when guys are getting out, um, my, my phone number is still within, in the, within the prison as a hotline. Um, I let guys call who need help, um, who need assistance with maybe, um, understanding what's going on out here. Um, how to, um, how to, to relate to, um, just trying to live out here, especially in California. It's not easy. Um, everybody doesn't have a, um, a clear avenue to once they release. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are just going to these, um, these halfway houses, basically, and, and trying to make it from there. You know, and that's pre predominantly what I had to do. But there's a lot of things that are um, helpful out here, um, a lot of things that hinder. And so I try to help with um, determining which ways to go. But I try to provide my, um, be open and um, available to a lot of guys getting out still, um, you know, and um, that's, that's, that's pretty much all you can really do is just try to give them what they need, you know. That is so wonderful. 
Uh, I'd like to go back over to Aaron. Aaron, I would love to see if there are questions you feel that we've left out, any topics you want to discuss. But also, I want to make sure that you are able to let our audience know about um, Writing Warriors and the, the Women Prisoners projects that you work with. Could you let us know where they can find out more information on that? Oh, you're muted there. <laughs> yes, you can go to womenprisoners.org and go to the Programs tab. We have orientations for people who are interested in doing this advocacy work about every two to three months. We also have a monthly meeting if you just want to dip your toes in and see what California Coalition for Women Prisoners is about. There's lots of ways you can plug in, but that is womenprisoners.org. Thank you so much, Erin. And what have we left out, Erin? Anything you want to bring up? I am really grateful that this conversation is happening and that Isaiah and Henry are here and uh, that Carol is doing this kind of work. I would encourage everyone who's listening to just maybe read a bit and, and think about how you can plug in and how you can connect to, to this cause and how that as a society, even on the outside, we are all being affected by incarceration, whether you know it or not. And it's a really profound experience to begin to just look. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Erin. And Carol, thank you so much for your immense work um, with everything that you do. It is so important. And am I correct? You've been teaching art at San Quentin since 1983? I've been involved with the state arts and corrections program since 1983, but um, and and I did work at a women's prison down south and set up the studio there originally, and we had ceramics and everything in the mid 80s. Yes, and um, then I worked organizing exhibits statewide and worked in different facilities. But I um, I went to San Quentin about. 2012, little earlier, I think, but I've been there for not quite 10 years. And um, the program has, it had shrunk and expanded. Now it's shrinking a bit again. So, um, you know, if, if people want to learn more about this, they can also go to, it's very simple, prisonartsproject.org is for William James Association. And then the, all the funding for the state programs for the arts, arts and corrections, um, you can go to the California Arts Council website and find out more about arts and corrections. And there are programs in all the prisons, um, but not as many as we would like. <laughs> it's uh, everything Aaron said is so true. You know, the, the families of people who are incarcerated, the communities of people who are incarcerated. We're all it, it's extends way beyond the people we're not seeing who are locked away right now. And it's affecting all of us. It's a really good point. Absolutely. Carol, I'm wondering, um, I mean, this has been your life's work almost. Can you sum up exactly what is the importance of arts education in the prison system? Well, it, it starts with the basic feeling and idea that art is a human right, that it's something uh, access to the arts is something for all of us. You know, art is for all of us. And many people in prison have not had opportunities for arts and other forms of education 
and have been, um, you know, shunted aside from early on for many reasons with, you know, poverty, learning differences, abuse, and, you know, endless list. And art is one of the few things that a lot of people can access, you know, find something in themselves that can start a process of opening up and self-examination and learning more and participating in the world in that way. And I, I think it's fundamental to all of us and maybe even especially those who have not had access can be most benefited by it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carol. Isaiah, Henry, any final thoughts for us? And I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, it was just that it gave me uh, a different identity than just being inmate J80928. Uh, I was an artist and then it let me see myself as an accomplished artist so I can accomplish something uh, at something that I didn't know I was, you know, going to be good at. And so it helped me uh, go into, you know, education, helped me go into other self-help groups and try something new because, uh you know, it's been beneficial. And some of it, you know, wasn't comfortable, but I need to get over that to get to where I am. And um, so it's just helped me to have self-worth and uh, just self-identity and seeing myself more than uh, what I believe I was. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Henry. And Isaiah. I think Henry worded that. He took everything I could have said and would have said because art has, um, I finally found out who I am. Um, I never knew the person that I am today. And I think I like this guy. I think he's really kind of cool. Um, because prior to this year, it was nothing but self-hate. You know, it was nothing but um, calling myself out of my name, calling myself names, failure after failure. But once I was, became able to express myself again, I have to stay with it. Once I became able to express my emotions and not bottle them up, my whole life changed. Um, and like I said, I contribute to a lot of it. Like people like Carol, even you now, Karen, you get on the wagon with us. Um, that my life has changed for people like this, you know, for what you do. Thank both of you. Um, it, it's, it's saving lives. Thank you, Isaiah. Thank you. Glad you found that love, and we think you're pretty cool too. I'm Cole Thomas and Renus with the Member Led Arts Forum of the Commonwealth Club of California the Department of Diversity, Equity, and Community at San Francisco Opera. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.